0: In 2013 2014, I had an opportunity to live in the UK where my bank manager would give me a call every couple of weeks and ask me, George, do you want to take a 4% uncollateralized loan just based on the salary that you have? And that was such a huge contrast to what I used to experience back in Kenya where the least lending interest rate I would get would be at 21%, and that was with collateral. And this has set me down a path of wondering what would that look like if we Africans had the same opportunities for borrowing at such low interest rates.
1: Welcome to Crypto at Scale. My name is Justin Norman, and in today's episode, my co-host Guera Kiwana and I are joined by two entrepreneurs working to bring DeFi lending to the real world, and more specifically, to African markets where there is an over $100 billion credit gap, according to the IFC. While DeFi, or decentralized finance, has seen a volatile rise in adoption within the crypto ecosystem, the big question in our context is to what extent this model and technology can be adopted and adapted for lending use cases across emerging markets. To explore that question further, we're joined in this episode by Chang Cheng, co-founder of the DeFi protocol GIA, and George Masomi, COO of Safi Protocol and a founding member of the Africa DeFi Alliance. If you're enjoying Crypto at Scale, we would really appreciate if you helped us grow the show by hitting subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, and sharing with a friend or a colleague who you think may enjoy it as well. Crypto at Scale is not investment advice and is for entertainment purposes only. This episode of Crypto at Scale is brought to you by Ripple. Anyone who sent money across borders to or within Africa knows how cumbersome, expensive, and slow the process can be. When it comes to remittances, Sub-Saharan Africa remains the most expensive region to send money to. And for businesses, trapped capital, slow settlements, and high failure rates pose major challenges. The current financial infrastructure just doesn't work very well for the modern global economy. Ripple believes that crypto-enabled payments can help. Ripple's payment solution, on-demand liquidity, enables organizations to settle global payments in real time at a fraction of the cost and without tying up working capital and destination accounts. By leveraging the digital asset XRP as a bridge currency, funds can be sent and received in local currency on either side of a transaction. And across Africa, Ripple is partnering with local financial institutions and fintechs to bring the benefits of better cross-border remittances to the region. To learn more and get in contact with the Ripple team, head over to Ripple.com.
2: So today, we've got some amazing guests. Uh, we've got Cheng Cheng, the, the co-founder of GIA, and we've got George Musomi, the COO of Safi Protocol and founding member of the Africa DeFi Alliance. So Cheng, thanks so much for joining us. Can you kick us off with a quick introduction to yourself and Jia, please?
3: Thank you, Guerrera. Hi, everyone. I'm Chen. I'm one of the Jia's co-founders. Short story about myself, I'm originally from China, I've spent most of my career in the last decade in kind of different effort, efforts to try to solve the credit gap problem in emerging markets, kind of from the microfinance to fintech lending, and now I'm at DeFi. So, how did I really get started in this space? Um, I worked in Kenya for a nonprofit back in 2011. Sort of fell in love um, with the country, with the culture. So when I moved to New York to do my grad school, I actually took two-year Swahili license at school, was hoping that kind of language would help me open the door to come back to East Africa. So actually, I did. So I was hired by a nonprofit in helping building the community uh, banks in rural parts of Tanzania. So I took the opportunity to practice my Swahili's in the villages of Tanzania for about half a year, and at the same time, I actually saw the massive demand for better forms of financing for the communities, right? So that, that's when I made the jump to fintech and was looking for a more scalable solution to help with the problem. And I joined Tala, one of the leading emerging markets fintech lender. And I was the expansion lead for over six years, um, basically helping the company to expand from Kenya to other markets in the region and in Latin and Southeast Asia. That's where I actually met my co-founder, Zach. We worked side-by-side at Tala for over six years. And right now, we are building GIA, uh, which is a DeFi platform connecting capital to real yield opportunities from small businesses in emerging markets. And it's kind of built on the concept of ownership economy, uh, where when an investor supplies capital or small businesses repay a loan, we believe they are driving the value to the economy, so they will be compensated as part of the owner of the JIA platform. So yeah, that's a nutshell of myself and what we do at JIA. Happy to dive in later.
2: That's great. Um, I'm sorry, we won't be speaking Swahili today, but uh, maybe next time I see you, Cheng, you, you, you and I can, you can help me practice my Swahili. Um, sawa, sawa. <laughs> <laughs> so George, really good to have you as well. We've got George here. Uh, can you introduce yourself and the work you're doing uh, in the DeFi lending space, please?
0: absolutely it's a pleasure to be here uh, first of all just being in the presence of everyone in this space it's such an honor my name is george mosomi i'm the ceo and co-founder for safi protocol which is a DeFi lending platform that tries to bridge the liquidity gap in the energy sector in africa and other emerging markets and i also am one of the founding members of the DeFi alliance which i'll come to in a moment but my journey in this space has been very similar to Chang's. In 2013, 2014, I had an opportunity to live in the UK, where my bank manager would give me a call every couple of weeks and ask me, "George, do you want to take a four percent uncollateralized loan just based on the on the salary that you have?" And that was such a huge contrast to what I used to experience back in Kenya where the little the least uh, lending interest rate i would get would be at 21% and that was with collateral and that this has set me down a path of wondering like what would that look like if we africans had the same opportunities for borrowing at such low interest rates And in that uh, journey or space, I had an opportunity to work in two very key organizations, which led me down the path of where I am right now. Uh, One of them is GridEx Africa, where I was the head of business development. And we were basically doing commercial and industrial scale solar. And we were providing uh, long-term financing for assets in the energy sector. And then on the other side, I had PingMe, which is where I was working as a head of uh, director of operations for Africa and later on uh, head of developer relations. And basically we're trying to look at how can we provide more data in the space so that people who have the liquidity or the lending opportunities can have better information so that they can lower lower their interest rates. And I'll just speak about that a little bit later. So right now, I work at SAFI. SAFI is doing that uh, bridging of that, that liquidity, making sure that people here have as much access to the energy sector as possible. And at the same time, at the DeFi Alliance, we asked ourselves this general question, how do we get $100 billion uh, to MSMEs who are trying to look for alternative alternate financing, who would typically go to your bank and uh, be given ridiculous interest rates or even in some situations not be able to get the access to capital. And that's what we're trying to solve for on the continent. Mm-hmm. So let's
1: let's um, jump right into the weeds. I want to sort of um, paint a little bit of a picture first about what um, the, the, the credit landscape looks like on the continent. I think you both talked about it a little bit in your past experiences, but both of you having come from sort of fintechs trying to focus on this credit gap, I'd have to imagine those experiences led you both to DeFi and and blockchain. And we'll sort of get into what you're working on today. But before we do, um, let's talk a little bit more about the the just sort of current landscape for traditional lending. George, you just told a story about, you know, 21% with collateral. Um, But can we talk about what are some of the other challenges of what it looks like today? You know, some of the challenges in terms of data, creditworthiness. I know, um, you know, in your role at PingMe, you were focused a lot on the, the data element of it as well. And, and Chang will will ask you the same question, I suppose, from Talan and a data perspective. But um, can we can we talk about why this sort of problem exists and what are the 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 challenges in terms of um, you know creating greater credit worthiness or, or, or better credit scoring, better access to data, greater greater credit um, infrastructure for the continent?
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you, Justin. I think one of the things you've mentioned is one of the critical pieces, and that was just the lack of access to data. So if you go to a financial institution, if you go to uh, either ASACO or, and ASACO is a savings and credit and cooperative society, or if you go to a microfinance institution, typically they would want to have at least six months of you interacting with them as an organization. And this is where the biggest gap happens in the continent, where most people don't have your traditional bank account. I got my first bank account by good chance because I was in university and Barclays Bank approached us. We opened our student accounts. But the first time I actually put in money into that account was maybe six years later. And this is the scenario that you have with most people. If they have a bank account, it's only when they got into formal employment, and so you have the question as to are all these people who are who exist in this society, is it that they do not have money that they're interacting with on a day-to-day basis? But that's that's not the reality. The reality is that there's a layer of information that's not potentially being covered by the traditional lending uh, l- lending data sets. And so when Ping Me actually Ping Me had a very interesting Start, it started as a micro-lending facility in Tanzania as well, probably around the same time Cheng was operating in that area. So our co-founders realized that you know they're, they're unable to give good credits because they cannot figure out the right credit scores based on the traditional information that they have. If you want to speak to a farmer, all that you have is maybe the farm inputs that they've been having over the last uh, one year, but you are not necessarily seeing them debiting and crediting into their bank accounts, and so they set out to create an alternative credit scoring opportunity and this is this just entailed looking at alternate data and If you look at the East African landscape and even more so to the southern African spaces, you have a lot of transactions which are carried out and captured by s m s data. There's a lot of information that's captured on social media, which can potentially be used through machine learning models that can help you to have a better picture of who these people are. And so that is what we set out to do. Yeah.
1: And Chang, I, I know sort of from a B2B perspective, from your experience at Tala, I think the story was similar in terms of you know this big question about credit risk assessment and using alternative data sources. So can you speak a little bit to, again, in this context of you know, this credit gap that you're trying to solve, what your experience was like in the sort of more traditional FinTech space before we then get into how DeFi addresses some of these challenges.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think the way I would break down kind of the spectrum of like B2C lending is by looking at where the individual consumers or small business, like who are our prime customer are getting credit today and how they are being assessed. I think George already kind of touched upon a couple of main sources, right? The traditional banks still are there and there are fintech lenders and SACO, which are the community financing is a huge component of that and look at the banks right the first like the 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 player has been always been there i think these days more and more banks have become they have forced being forced to become more forward-looking start partnering with the fintech lenders leveraging some sort of alternative data to provide smaller ticket loans but if you look at the overall activities um, talking to the business owners look at market data they are still really really conservative in terms of credit assessment I guess that kind of speaks to the, the the brick and mortar model that works for them to underwrite a loan the cost is really high right they have to have like in-person appraisal all the processes so for the banks to issue loans like less than ten thousand k usd that is not economically viable um, like to do smaller loans and that's why most time they have to in today's world is to, to ask for collaterals and only lend to establish the businesses so the, the bank loans not really accessible to the smaller, like the smaller businesses or consumers, um, because of the way they underwrite. And then come to the world of like the TALA, the fintech uh, lenders, that's kind of like where I personally saw how technology could digitalize underwriting and be able to scale in such a short span of time. Right, Tala. When I joined Tala back in two thousand and fifteen, we have about a couple thousand borrowers in Kenya, and just over six seven years, Tala has six million borrowers across three continents, and anyone kind of with a phone could get like a twenty dollars loan in a few minutes. Um, and that's where like. A, the underwriting is kind of done by a mobile app where the lenders could collect alternative data that George mentioned, uh, like popular signals like by the lenders, like for example, what the usage of your device, your GPS route throughout the day, your payment behavior as so a let up with the system. But there's also like fundamental challenges like it still exists with the, the digital lenders, right? And they're taking huge risks. Um, there's only so much data mobile could tell you about someone's willingness and ability to repay. So what happens with the FinTech lender? they have to bake the high risk into the interest rate charge. So typical digital lender would charge somewhere 10 to 15% per month to cover the lending risks and acquisition costs, right? And because of the limited data, they would, could only land at a very smaller amount. That's why you only see people get like a $10 loans up to like maybe $100, $200. And then, which can lead to the borrowers, like the many of the small business borrowers, they need a couple hundred dollars or even more to be able to make the money useful for their businesses. So they end up doing like loan stacking, taking multiple loans from multiple lenders, and all the interest rate add up, kind of eating their business revenue. That's where kind of the vicious circle became, right? And then they have no loyalty to any of the lender at all in the end of the day. So that's kind of the a lot of were in the news in the last couple of years uh, across different markets. And before I finish, like, I think one thing like George really mentioned is really important is like the community banks, right? It's actually the most popular form of lending I've seen. Right? Every talent borrower actually has already been one, at least one or multiple members of the SACOS and Chama like community organizations. And it's not just in East Africa, right? If you look at like Latam, it's called Tandas, and the in the Philippines, and Chitfan in in India, right? So like people love that because you, as a group of friends or people who know each other, you put your money saved together and you borrow from the pool. And in the end of the year, you will share dividends. So you have some sort of ownership to that compared to your banks or compared to your digital lenders so yeah that's actually what inspired jia and um, to have our model but i think that's kind of in a nutshell of like different players playing the space uh uh in the in solving the, the credit gap
2: i think definitely solving the credit gap is it's a big tough problem it's like you know to break down and understand i think you know looking at it from the last mile perspective so like i think George, you've done a great job explaining a little bit more about like assessing credit risk. Chang, you've explained a little bit more about the the struggles that that borrowers uh, face and also the lenders themselves are facing. But if we maybe zoom out a little bit and, and look at, at at you know the beginning side of of, of this of, of of the of the credit story, which is like you know where the where the loans originate, where the debt originates from. And you you made a great a great point about how uh, lenders will have to bake in. Uh, that risk into the price and that's why we see such high interest rates so uh because you know the the, the people that they're borrowing from uh to, to to lend the the money out are are pricing that risk really high because they just don't understand the market they don't understand the the, the borrowers profiles um so it's just you know it's, it's it's a lose situation from 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 the origination but um let's go into a little bit more of a, a looking forward uh you know kind of Perspective. So let's let's ask the obvious question: How does DeFi address the challenges that you've both discussed? Um, So I think there's a few dimensions uh, to explore and think about them across a few vectors. So using stablecoins, you know the use of stablecoins, collateralization. So George, you've mentioned. Uh, you know, uncollateralized loans versus collateralized loans and, and the price of that, um, interest rates and, and how those work, uh, different borrower pools and, and you know, how, how credit risk is, is assessed for on lenders and their borrowers. So, Cheng, we'll start with you. You've worked uh, with GIA in with specific segments of borrowers um, in, and in the healthcare and the education space. What, what about GIA's solution solves the unique challenges? And can you explain a little bit more about why you targeted those two segments?
3: Yeah, definitely. So uh, GS mission is really trying to solve the problem, of how to provide affordable, accessible business financing uh, to smaller businesses like the, the in the sectors of education or uh, the medical field. Those are the two sectors we started with, but we are definitely expanding beyond that to serve business uh, credit gaps. So overall, if you look at the like, global data, it's like tr- 5 trillion credit gap ha- is there that has not been... At addressed by the existing institutions, and um, but if you look at it, like, like zoom in to like the borrower level, right? What does it really mean when we talk about the credit gap, right? I think maybe helpful to take example of one of our borrowers. in it, the first borrower. Who, her name is Diana. She runs a clinic uh, called Heaven's Park. It's in Kasarani uh, in Nairobi. She's like very typical small business owner. Often has like liquidity crunch where she needs capital injection to keep her clinic stocked with medicine. Or every now and then, she wants to introduce new testing equipments to meet the needs of the, the neighborhood. Um, so she go, she has gone to banks a number of times who requires collaterals and it's very lengthy processes. So she wasn't easily to get a loan there. So that's where Jia kind of comes in. We want to, I think in the end of the day, it's less about, I w- we think of like DeFi and crypto as a tool to solve the problem, right? But in the end of the day, we have to meet customers where they are. And the banks could not serve Diana because a lot of the problem we mentioned, the, the, their underwriting procedures, not meeting them where they are. So that's why GIA, like our approach is partnering with a company like Elara Health, who is providing inventory management services to clinics like Diana where Ilara has a good amount of data about Diana's like, clinic, Their, her transaction history, how often she purchased medicine, equipment, uh, how much she sells, and to whom. And those are sort the of data could help us to under, underwrite Diana and then provide a supply chain financing to her. That means like we open a line of credit for Diana to get medicine on credit via Ilara Health. And when Diana takes out Jia credit and repay on time, Dana will be rewarded with the something called GA points um, for her good like on-time repayment. And she might not know like GA points is actually effectively GA token representing the GA ownership. But she know like having GM point could enable her to get higher credit line, lower interest rate, and in the future she can use it as a collateral to unlock higher credit amount, or potentially bring other people into the GN network to borrow, where she could earn actual extra, extra income. So for her, it's like. The ideas like for GS, no longer just typical lender, but someone solve her credit gap problem, but it becomes like in the long run, develop a mutual relationship where she, whenever she contributes, she can also earn uh, more income or be- more benefits. So that's what, like kind of like the approach we're taking, as you're saying here. Is like um, number one, GS like partnering with organizations who might have alternative data first on the right. And then leveraging the token to incentivizing the persistent behavior for our boards, right? And the third piece is actually I haven't mentioned. Is basically, that's where we source capital uh, globally via the on chain pools. Um, so that's pretty much like breakdown in terms of how GA is solving this problem.
2: I think that's I think that's really fascinating, especially you know the, the going after that specific segment. Um, you know, you know that these 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 kinds of borrower profiles—they need that capital, and like they're gonna get it in, in one way or another. And and it's you know, and it's maybe just a matter of giving them an opportunity that makes it easy for them to, to acquire it, but also incentivizes good behavior, um, the behavior that they're gonna have anyway because she runs a clinic, which you know she can't really close. Uh, so um, you know, incentivizing that behavior, uh, rewarding them with ownership as well of Gia. Um, that's a that's an interesting model, George. We're gonna come to you um, a little bit to tell me tell us a little bit more about the work you do with the DeFi Alliance in Africa, the Africa DeFi Alliance. Um, so, yeah, your goal with the Africa DeFi Alliance is to move hundred billion dollars of working capital into the continent's MSMEs, so those are micro uh, SMEs. Um, it's a really ambitious goal. Can you walk us through the approach you have to serving this traditionally underserved borrower profile?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one of the things we realized is that there are many companies like GIA and even Safi, where where I'm a co-founder, who have this liquidity problem and at the same time they have an infrastructure problem. It takes so much time before you build out your liquidity pools, even both on the in the real world and both on the smart contracts world. And so we came together as some of the founding members. And then created an open community where all these people can come in and join as we build up infrastructure that's scalable and uh, can be built up in a composable or basically reusable modules that can allow people to come in, plug in for the financing on one side, plug in a bunch of borrowers on this other side. At the same time, have uh, all the potential players who are doing the liquidity confirmation we're doing the Oracle uh, and inventory plus credit scoring in the middle such that you have an, a full ecosystem of people who are actively working to create a virtuous circle. And just for the, for the listeners and for the viewers, a virtuous circle is whereby the more people interact within this ecosystem that we're trying to create, the more stability or the more uh, confirmations of transactions that happen the more you have a trust-enabled system within within this Africa DeFi Alliance. And so basically the goal was to make sure that can everyone who uh, becomes a potential member or everyone who is a member, how can we get them to benefit from this infrastructure that we're building, from all the potential liquidity uh, providers that we're putting together? How do we make sure that we are all learning and moving at the same pace and therefore we structured what is called the Africa DeFi Alliance labs on one side and that basically goes into the innovation and allows for the pool of people who are potentially contributing to the to the labs to have a say uh, into what governance structures look like in terms of how do we approve who gets a loan how do we uh, what modules do we need to increase what kind of credit scoring do we need to provide what kind of liquidity uh, sanctions do we need to or punishments do we need to put in place for the people who are misbehaving within this ecosystem and that's where we are today
2: that's that's really cool i, I want to maybe um switch a little bit to look at the traditional uh the, the tr- traditional debt capital markets um landscape and and i'll come back to you george uh can you you you've identified how and and chang will come to you as well how you both utilize the work that you do utilize these these DeFi liquidity pools um can you explain a little bit about what the tr- you know the, the liquidity pools that are using DeFi right now is maybe the it's, it's the new iteration of of how debt is sourced can you explain how how traditional debt capital markets work right now um, with the context of Africa.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't pretend I'm a capital market expert, but how it typically works is that it's actually really hard as a lender if you don't have really strong uh, portfolio or track record. And the cost of capital can go up really high to risk fund, mostly institutions in the beginning, right? And many institutions are unwilling even to lend at a smaller ticket size because the underwriting for them is really hard. They would not lend below like $5 million, right? Facility. And if you were lucky enough, we got so much track record, you can already secure that. And the cost of capital typically goes up to somewhere 15% to 25%, even for some established digital lenders uh, in the space are facing that high of cost capital. So I would say like traditionally, most uh, lenders kind of go to institutions and going through very lengthy underwriting processes where... Uh, a lot of like the uh, very high cost of capital. So
2: this 15% plus uh, cost of capital, like what what is the, if you can give us, what is the equivalent in of, of, of cost of capital in a DeFi, for like a DeFi example?
3: I wouldn't say like DeFi, if you look at existing a lot of the uh, uh, real world asset lending, I would say somewhat like, it depends, right? The, the, it's a senior pool or a junior pool is like for retail investors or they are still like a junior pool for. Big institutions backers where they I wouldn't see like it gonna break down the cost significantly but the, i would see the major difference especially in today's world where like the uh the the savings is really high it's very competitive for where the investors want to put money right but the major differences we've seen is like actually you break the bring more channels for lender like us to able to access right like for these these like uh, digital lender like Tala, we only go to institutions for bigger ticket size. But for a company like GIA, leveraging liquidity pool, anyone in the world they could potentially contribute like or invest in smaller ticket size. That kind of opens up so like a lot of like a uh, potential in terms of where we source liquidity. Um, that's I would feel at least in today's market, that's the major differences.
2: So basically, to boil that down, it's previously uh, for GIA. To access debt capital markets, to, to access debt that they would on lend, um, they would have to really struggle to 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 um, access that debt going to traditional lenders, uh, who would price that risk really really high, mostly because they don't really understand it and because ticket sizes are small. Whereas DeFi provides you, it opens you up to a much larger uh, debt capital market, like a much larger pool of investors who understand the risk, who understand, uh, who are able to price that differently. Um, and just opens basically opens you up to a lot more capital than than you would have had otherwise. Am I correct?
3: I think you're correct for the most part. I guess sorry to carry, the the part is like, do they really understand the risk part? I'm not so sure because like they're. A global investor anywhere, they wouldn't probably know how to underwrite a small business like a duca owner in Kenya, right? I think that's where the, the responsibility is on the platform like us, like GN Safi, to be able to provide that transparency and to provide a track record, to provide that comfort level to the investors so that they can trust us in the long run.
1: And then just um, to sort of complete the the loop, just talking about then the downstream impact. So can you compare what interest rates look like, you know, in the traditional sense versus, again, with like cheaper cost of capital, what interest rates you're passing on then to your borrowers? Uh,
3: So... Uh, As I mentioned, like traditional in comparison, right, the banks giving loans at the annual rate around 25 to 36% with collateral, right? That's kind of how the market rate works in this market. And where digital lenders is charging depends, right? I would say like averagely 10% per month uh, uh, we've seen. And GIA, currently, we are looking at somewhere 4 to 6% per month. And that also depends on which segments we're serving, right? Some segments, we have more data, and maybe it's invoice um, that is backed it, so we can charge lower. Uh, but on average, we're able to bring it down. But I think cost of capital is just like... Part of that uh, make it in economics viable a little bit better but more about like what data we can unlock via our partners like in our health to give us the confidence we can actually land profitably at that rate uh, so that's kind of where we stand today
0: yeah and just just to add on that yes 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 uh, so at safi um if you look at the traditional commercial and industrial scale solar First of all, just exactly what Cheng mentioned, there's almost like a minimum cap below which lenders are not even looking at. So, for example, in the CNI sector, most most lenders would be doing upwards of two hundred thousand dollars minimum per institution or per, per borrower, and therefore, no one was meeting uh, this larger the 85 to 90 percent of people who are actual business owners who would love to have some of the renewable energy resources installed on their rooftops so that they can earn savings and earn carbon credits. And that's where Safi came in and said, look, we can, if we put together all these different uh, potential users who would like a solar system, how can we uh, reduce the risk for the investor who doesn't want to look at anything below $100,000? How do we bring 10 of these users who whose total capital amounts to that $100,000 and more and at the same time reduce the risk of each individual potentially, you know, delaying a payment here and there. And this is the beauty about DeFi. Uh, it's first of all, the, the, there's a triangle that I look at and I share with everyone, which is can you reduce the cost of a service? And how do you reduce the cost of a service by either... Uh, taking longer but in this case with DeFi, you're making it you're reducing the time to action by using smart contracts and being able to deploy capital really quickly and the quality is higher because you're able to which is a third metric the quality is higher because you're able to have real-time views of these real world assets operating on these businesses even as the users pay back i'm able to quickly if i am a if i am a uh, Borrower say I'm going. If I'm a lender and I go onto a JIA platform or onto a Safi platform, I'm able to quickly see that this pool of borrowers has been consistent in repaying their debt over the last six months. So if they ask for an extension or if they ask for even more capital for uh, to be deployed to them, I have the confidence to give it to them. And that's the beauty about DeFi and why it's why it's critical and making such a big impact on this continent.
1: Just a, a follow-up question, then. I mean, it, it sounds very important, I suppose, looking upstream at the cost of capital, the sort of downstream impact for the borrowers. So can we talk a little bit, um, maybe, George, if, if you can address first, what the sort of profile of the the, the actual lenders in DeFi protocols, um, you know, in the context of real-world assets look like? You know, who, who are they and why are they um, lending to these protocols? And is it just sort of yields or... You know, are they particularly interested in the fact that this money is also going towards, you know, in the case of SAFE protocol, you know, energy projects or in the case of GIA, you know, um, SMEs in, in East Africa? I mean, what does that sort of um, lender
0: profile look like in this context? Yeah, that's a really good question. It, in our sector, in the energy space, it, it you have two typical investors. One is who's looking for yield and then you have one who's looking for yield plus impact. I think everyone is looking at how can we create a positive impact in the in the society especially in these emerging economies and how do we do it sustainably and this is your typical profile of one of the investors and the second one is the one who's purely impact led you know they've seen where there is an opportunity for creating sustainable development how do we make sure that if a farmer is trying to expand his dairy business? Does he uh, have the opportunity to do that, say, by adding cooling and storage or adding a processing facility? And these are some of the biggest motivations for the people who are on the impact side. And that's why I believe that there's such a big opportunity because each sector is quite specific in its in its needs. And if more people can address very sector-specific um, outcomes, then we'll be able to serve these sectors very, very well. So now, for example, in the energy sector, you need someone who, if you're a platform like Safi, you need to understand what your typical customer looks like. So your customer is someone who maybe has a small business that they want to expand into, or they have a residential home, or maybe it's a larger business which wants to have a small extension or some battery operating system. And if they were to do that with outright capital, it would uh, create a, a and and disbalance it in their balance sheets. So we are coming in to provide longer-term asset purchase, uh, asset finance agreements, which can potentially help them to just cover their month-to-month power needs without necessarily destroying the way that they operate their businesses. And so if you look at this and think about every single sector, which has these specific capital needs. You need to have investors who, when they come onto the platform, they kind of understand what is the business, what is the lady in the duka who wants to sell, uh, who needs a capital outlay for, say, let's say the goods that she wants to sell for this week. And therefore, you have the comfort of giving that specific credit at a percentage that is amenable to them.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'd I'd have to imagine also, um, and perhaps this is obvious, but in the context of DeFi and sourcing lenders, the other opportunity is just that the capital source is, is global, whereas I suppose in the traditional financial services sector, you know, to to get lenders into Kenya, even if they're from abroad, you know, has a whole range of sort of Forex considerations and all of the rest and, you know, Perhaps it's the, the beauty of stablecoins, which is perhaps why we talked about it episode one. Jang, um, I'm curious to know if in Gia's context, that's, that's what you're seeing, uh, that the source of capital is coming from sort of anywhere and, and everywhere and certainly making it easier to then source capital for um, these, these downstream borrowers as opposed to, again, the, the sort of TradFi experience
3: yeah I think what we have seen are I think like two segments of like lenders. One is like definitely we're still speaking and trying to acquire liquidity from the traditional. Funds, right? Because in the end of the day, they are the largest source of capital, especially as GA grows, right? Where we do need the big backers to be able to provide like long term sustainable funds. So we're definitely speaking to many of them, and the way they're providing is still the traditional way, going through the co underwriting processes, really understanding the long book of the, the returns and the risks. That's what we really look at, right? And then what actually DeFi opens up is like the the retail. Even you look at the retail investor, there I would say there at least we've seen like two different profiles. One is the more of the retail who are more looking at the speculative side of the things, where they want to be early part of like the platform they invest so they can look at potentially gain the GIA tokens to have some upside in the future there are definitely a lot of that we have seen and then there's also interesting segment that who are more conservative on the crypto side but they are interesting like uh, George said they're more believe in the mission impact side they still of course look at overall returns but they are interesting exploring this um investment opportunity that might not be available through other traditional institutions that they actually can invest a couple of thousand dollars into a smaller businesses in Kenya. That's something pretty new to them. And we've definitely seen people who are coming uh, from that like, mentality. So yeah, I think like from the retail side, those are the two that used not to be open to us. Now we have seen people uh, express interest in and investing into GM.
1: Let's move on now to uh, maybe the bearish section of uh, this conversation and just look at some some challenges as well as perhaps some opportunities in, in light of those challenges. Um, you know, I, I think we collectively are all very excited about the opportunity for DeFi, but, um, you know, we called this podcast Crypto at Scale. We're interested in what it means to scale, um, you know, these crypto-enabled use cases. I think... You know, with DeFi in particular, there's big questions about collateralization and the sort of initial DeFi platforms were over collateralized. And we're here talking about, you know, non-collateralized lending in the real world. Um, I think there's a lot of issues or questions about creditworthiness and, you know, maybe regulation as well. And, And I'm curious to know how you guys think about these sorts of challenges and opportunities that you are needing to overcome to... Uh, really see again crypto at scale, and George, you talked about this hundred billion dollar goal for MSMEs. Um, you are also doing lending in the "quote unquote" real world in the energy space. So, can you speak to how you think about um, these these challenges and and what it means to work through them uh, for greater adoption of DeFi
0: lending? Uh, thank you, Justin. I think one of the one of the biggest things we're addressing, at least, if I may start from Safi before coming into into the DeFi Alliance. At Safi, you know, we we realized we're backing people, we're we're providing a platform whereby you as Justin can go in, uh, request for a solar system from a solar developer who knows these systems in and out. Then they potentially have the chance to build that system on your rooftop, and then you earn the benefits of the solar, and then you pay back the investors over X, let's say one or two years. Now, the good thing is that when you have this ecosystem of experts, say for example, the solar developers, you have also the opportunity for them to be responsible, create a responsibility ecosystem whereby if this developer builds a shitty system, sorry for my language, (laughs) it means that he will not have an opportunity to either get a loan to build another system, and this is written on-chain. And thus, and thus you incentivize this uh, solar developer to have to create a good system because the customer can say that, you know, I am and I am getting the electricity that I paid I'm paying for or I have paid for. And this virtuous circle, which I mentioned earlier, uh is just a critical element as to how do we make sure that as you connect either uncollateralized ecosystems or even with some form of collateral say for example the real world assets that are written on chain as you tokenize them how do you make sure that you're uh, putting them on on-chain books and removing them from on, chain book, on-chain books when they have completely been paid for it just creates a whole larger ecosystem of accountability and the same thing where we are look, we are looking at the same thing when you go into the africa into the um africa DeFi alliance whereby we are seeing more and more of the participants who are coming in making sure that um as you create more ecosystem players you have people whose new roles coming up which are assisting with the fluidity of or, or the liquidity moving from point A to point B. Mm.
1: And Chang, I, I think I, I want to ask you sort of the same question about the challenges. And I think in your context or in GS context in particular, you talked about the ownership economy and this idea about incentivizing repayment. And I know repayment has been a really difficult thing for the consumer lending apps, um, you know, like your former employer as well. So. Um, I'm, I'm curious just from a challenges perspective, is the repayment maybe one of the biggest ones that you guys are thinking about and how you incentivize, uh, for that through the rewards program and what does it even mean to sort of convince your borrowers to see value in the rewards and to sort of change this behavior? And are there any other challenges as suppose beyond that as well that you're thinking about, um, in terms of, you know, adoption at scale?
3: Yeah, I think the, uh, looking at like adoption at scale, like the, like it's like in, if it's very simple, it's a lending activity, right? We talk about it's like what you be able to lend is like do you have sufficient data or do you have good quality of collateral, right? And then coming back to think about like scaling uh, DeFi, right? Basically two things need to happen. One is like not very specific to DeFi, it's just specific to lending, right? How do you underwrite? Um, and how do you solve the problem of data or collateral? And then the second step is if you could actually underwrite and solve that, and then how do you actually leverage DeFi to scale that, right, so that you can potentially bring these activities on-chain and then unlock more options to borrowers and more investment opportunities for investors on-chain, right? So on the first problem, I think you mentioned, like, that's where, like, the underwriting is, like, we're not innovating, like, Per se, in terms of like uh, compared to anyone else, we're just like combining the wisdom of what is already available in terms of underwriting, Um, looking for more data through the partners, looking for more social proof data from the borrowers themselves, leveraging the model of like the cycle and so that we can potentially like underwrite. And then when it comes to the second step, I think you mentioned that if you can potentially underwrite, people can repay. How do you leverage the DeFi framework to actually scale it? Right. And a couple of things we're doing is like, um, starting when people borrow and repay we start creating like on-chain footprints for them of their borrowing histories right So it's actually become you can think in the future where um, someone has a good reputation with gl we can issue an nft that representing their on-chain identity that they can use it to go to other lenders other services to unlock more opportunities right and then we can also in the process as some of the small businesses they do have invoices we can start tokenizing those receivables invoices so that put on the chain to unlock more liquidity and capital and then you talk, mentioned about the GA token as rewards, which could be used, have a lot of utility. Um, and for the borrowers, like they don't care whether it's a crypto or anything. They just want to, What they only care about where do I get cheaper loans, right? So that's why we're really tying the token rewards to their behaviors. Like if you're repaying on time, you're getting the GA points. And what GA points gives you is like bigger loans and cheaper rate. And the opportunity for you to bring other quality borrowers and you can get additional income over that. So something tied into the things they already understand. So hopefully that will uh encourage the behavioral change to have them become a long term relationship with GIA instead of like a transactional relationship that they have today with other digital lenders.
1: Yeah. And just one quick follow up on that point. I think the the you talked a little bit about just um borrowing activity on chain. I think that is an important thing to double click on in the context of uh like lack of credit bureaus and you talked about loan stacking and you know there was a lot of talk in the fintech space about sharing data amongst different uh apps to sort of um be able to like more easily weed out bad actors right so you know it's been a lot of like you go to one app and then you go to the, you default you go to the next app so i'd have to imagine that That sort of, um, uh, you know, bringing all of this activity on chain is a really important part of the equation as well.
3: Yeah, yeah. And definitely, I think that's where having their credit history on chain that they can also have full ownership over that can give them autonomy uh, to be able to access more different potential products, right, financial product, not just limited to lending. I think, but it's like, I would really think it's like a very gradual process. That's why, like, first things to happen lenders like us can underwrite them and then think of way that we can bring that data on chain with their consent and a good way to protect their privacy, right? And how do you validate the source of truth of data? Because data coming from on-chain, there's a problem like a truth of Oracle, right? And I do think a lot of steps need to happen when in the future where I envision a lot of online activity could actually happen on-chain. But we're taking a step at a time. I think
2: that's a gradual uh, approach to, to that. That kind of development sounds sounds, sounds about right. And uh, I think let, let's move on to looking at <clears throat> the future. So. We, we've, we've laid out the challenges, and I think, uh, Cheng, you've done a really great job of explaining a little bit more about kind of a, 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 sh- a tiny glimpse into the future opportunities that exist here. Um, let's look forward and, and uh, you know, we, we call this show Crypto at Scale. Uh, so what do you we want to see, understand your both your opinions regarding um, what you want to see with regards to DeFi adoption, especially with DeFi lending adoption at scale? Like, what does that look like? What will this take? Um, obviously there's, there's things like education, there's, there's, you know, regulation, looking at that progressive decentralized, like, you know, decentralization, innovation that's happening. Um, what else do you think is, it's going to take, um, and Cheng, we'll come back to you. Um, what, what, like, you know, what is it going to take, uh, Gia to, to take it to the next step and, and your, you know, other players in the space who are serving the same markets that you're serving?
3: Uh, okay, great. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, totally true. I think, as you mentioned, there are so many moving pieces to be, able, things need to hold true to scale DeFi, right? And to have it widely adopted. Personally, I kind of lean towards the opinion that like with massive adoption of this type of new technology is not like a linear progress right i know like things i just mentioned like things will take a gradual step but sometimes it's like reality is like there are some core infrastructure gradually become ready that make adoption possible and then like a killer app will show up to educate market while the rest of things can gradually catch up right we have seen that like especially in previously with the social media fintechs like like the that's what we've seen right and then the regulations gradually catch up but Which, with, where the word is, you can never be so sure, right? Especially if you like a crypto, the regulations already jumping ahead in many markets too, which kind of, it's one of the things you have to consider as you can scale DeFi. So a few, I would call like a few pieces, like really matters to GI if we want to scale our solution across emerging markets. Uh, One is like on-run, off-run infrastructure to really streamline the lending, like smaller ticket size lending, like let's say a thousand dollars that we can borrow, can borrow directly from the pool, and then to be able to use the money. Today, to do that, you have to go through like, regulations, on-ramp, off-ramp, and then think about FX. We talk about how to turn that into the cash link so that they can use the money. And for them to repay, you have to go through the on-ramp. The cost doesn't really... It makes sense. Many cases, the technology, infrastructure is not there. So that's, like, one piece which is very important. GA is not solving that, but we, I know so many good players are really working on that. Um, and then second piece is really important for us, like, more use cases beyond just, like, speculative purposes, right? Um, like, today, like, we cannot really do that, but if you imagine, like, a borrower like, they can borrow from crypto directly, then they can use the money directly to pay for services in their supply chain. That kind of can make it whole service more efficient, right, and more streamlined. So that's where I I really love to think like the future would look like. And then the education boarding is definitely... It's a ch- definitely a challenge for us. So that's why I, we took the approach not to just trying to make people to adopt crypto, but really trying to figure out, let's solve a problem for them and leveraging the tools we have. Some of the tools, lie in the traditional form, some of the tools like, actually is leveraging DeFi. So I think that's kind of the approach we're looking, taking and definitely curious about, like, what Safi is doing and the rest of the, the, the world is really uh, innovating on.
0: On on our side, we are working on, uh, for the Africa de- DeFi Alliance, one of the things we're working on is the progressive decentralization. And when I say de- progressive decentralization, it means more people who are giving uh, the liquidity and more people who are taking part in the liquidity are getting a say in how that liquidity is being uh, actioned. And that will take a lot of time but we want to build this large ecosystem of players, the GIAs, the SAFIs, the teams that Quera and Justin are working on, making sure that as more people are learning and getting educated on DeFi, they can actually take an active stance and be stakeholders and decision makers and governance participants. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the traditional, all these circles and uh, the similar Impacts of circles around the world is that you've create we've created traditionally small ecosystems which work because people within those tiny ecosystems kind of understand who I'm lending to within this space I have recourse to default and we have they have generally have low default risks uh, because people know each other within those ecosystems and if we continue to co- leverage and contribute as communities within our respective protocols and the Africa and the uh, Africa DeFi alliance we will benefit from this and i mentioned working with institutions uh, as much as I, as much as I hate it, we still, we still have to partner with our traditional f- financing institutions. I think that's the quickest way to potentially leverage the maximum capability of DeFi, and that means working with banks to help them discover. You know, you can also leverage some of this uh, technology to make sure that you have access to these pools, and you can also use it so that you have, you can create lower barriers to entry for people who want to get credit from your specific facilities. And then the last point I would say is probably around interoperability. I think Cheng mentioned how many people are working on different solutions. It would be nice to have like a super app. You can come into the super app, uh, potentially get as quickly as possible without going through many loops and hoops of jumping through fire and quickly take out a loan. Your credit score has already been pre-checked and pre-approved. And you can borrow in whatever cryptocurrency. You can borrow in whatever liquidity pool in and pay it back within those liquidity pools. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of action from each of us as individuals as we build out uh, these different technology platforms.
2: Cool. Thank you so much. Um, So we're coming to to the end of of our discussion. Um, And each week we ask uh, our our, uh, guests for one or two recommendations uh, for sources or really things uh, that they recommend to the crypto at scale community that uh, gets them excited about crypto. So if there's anything, uh, we'd love to hear your recommendations, if there's any new protocol or or a place to learn about crypto or even a blog or whatever, like um, we'd love to hear your recommendations. So we'll start with you, George.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, Well, my friend and I, Daniel uh, Akpobari, run a podcast called How We Build Web3 in Africa. So we talk about really cool stuff most of the time. It's also just stories about people who've been in the space. And I think one of the most important things is to not only know the success stories, but also understand their failures and learn from those failures. So we try and address those things on that podcast.
2: You will drop a link uh cheng anything from you
3: yeah actually i might be the least crypto-ish guest on the show <laughs> a lot of times i'm joking i'm like not building web 3 yet i'm building web 1 i'm spending a lot of time in the dukas interviewing customers these days but uh one i would recommend is uh, uh i don't know if you guys know paki my comic. he has a uh, not boring uh uh, newsletter. He's one of our GS investors. He had been really, really helpful through our journey. So he writes like biweekly newsletters and talk about like tech strategy. Um, part of that is also crypto. I use that a lot to kind of keep me updated on the where things are in the industry.
2: That's great.
1: I'm a I think big, we need not boring fan.
2: Same as nice. as am I. And also, I think we need more uh, people who claim that they're not crypto in crypto because. You're the ones, well, we are all the ones who are driving each other to learn more and, um, you know, not gatekeep uh, the, the ecosystem. So thank you. Um, Justin?
1: Cool. Yeah, I think that wraps up our discussion. So thank you both of us for joining us today. This was a very fun conversation. I know I learned a lot. I'm excited to see um, all the work that you guys are doing uh, come to fruition in the near future. So where can people find out more about you and your companies, George?
0: Uh, come to Safi.eco. And then from there, you'll see all our cool docs, our communities on Discord. You'll get all the links. Yeah, safi.eco.
3: It's jia.xyz. You'll find the latest about us.
1: Great. And you can find more about us on Twitter at Crypto at Scale. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app or YouTube and share with a friend or colleague who you think may enjoy it as well. Chang and George, thanks so much for joining us.